0: Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entre Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Nancy Clapel, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast.
1: Hey Mark, thanks, it's great to be here.
0: Oh, it's great to have you here. You're a longtime friend, a longtime uh, supporter of what we're doing here at Entree Architect and, and it's exciting to finally have you on the show. And so uh, I'm excited to have this conversation.
1: Thank you. I am equally thrilled to be joining you after, you know, at least five years and probably more like six or seven of watching this all evolve.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're doing all kinds of interesting things. So I want to have that conversation. Before we do that, I want to introduce you to anybody who may not know who you are. For over 25 years, Nancy Clappell has consistently delivered real measurable results for professionals that work on the built environment. She began as a practicing architectural designer and shifted focus serving as director of business development for SOM New York. And then since 2000 as an independent consultant, she understands the particular challenges that firms face in building a design identity, uh, communicating objective value and gaining recognition in a highly competitive environment. And today as a strategic consultant, she brings clarity and focus to that effort. And so, Nancy, I gave a little teaser about who you are and what you do. Um, and I want, and I know that we're, you're working on a really exciting, interesting development project, which is separate from your consulting side. And so I want I, I, to, you and I have had conversations offline and we started talking about the development. I'm like, I want to share that with our listeners. And so that's why we're here today. I want to talk about the, the hows and the whys and all the things that come along with residential development and, uh, and talk about that. But before we do that, I want to know more about you. I want to learn more about you and where you started and how you started. When did you discover your passion for what you do today? And maybe even talk a little bit about who or what inspired you to get started.
1: Sure. So um, I feel like on any given day, when someone asks me a question like this. answer could be entirely different (laughs) um maybe we all feel like that i don't know but um and i'm excited to talk about the development project the timing is fortuitous because we are just about at the completion of schematic design and we're hoping to go into construction in october with some really exciting milestones along the way and we'll get to that in a bit but um so to get at your question where did it begin where did i first uh come upon a a passion for architecture and design and how did it get to here? Um, You know, that's always a hard question. I grew up in New York City and unlike most people in New York City, I grew up in a 4,000 plus square foot Victorian house in a na- landmark neighborhood with a rose garden and a wow. big front porch.
0: That's rare yeah. in New York and City. Yeah, I, and
1: I grew up there at the moment that the neighborhood was just becoming a landmark district. So it was very much in discussion. And as I was you know, experiencing my childhood, surrounded by beautiful materials and woodwork and stained glass and elegantly proportioned private houses, Four blocks from the subway, um, I I kind of figured that you know this was just the way the world was. And my mother is a designer. Um, she spent most of my young life as a non-working mom, you know, a full-time mom. Yeah. But she was trained as a fashion designer, and so there was always this ongoing conversation filtered through a designer's perspective. And you know, put yourself in a beautiful neighborhood, and then again, put that beautiful neighborhood in the city of New York. And there you have the beginnings of an interest in design and the yeah. push towards a design career. I wouldn't say anyone pushed me, but certainly my landing there was not as unexpected as it might be for some people.
0: Yeah. It was like you were immersed in that type of thinking. It was hard to escape that.
1: Well, yeah. And then, you know, as if you might want to escape, I mean, who would want to escape? Right. right. But, um, Yeah, it was very much in the air. And then of course, these extremely close across the street neighbors we were in theater and uh, one of them, the wife of the couple was the head of the costume shop at Brooklyn College and the author of the definitive textbook on costume design for students who are learning to design costumes. So there, we were just surrounded at all times by people in the arts and people who considered design an important part of their careers.
0: It sounds like a very exciting, fun, creative childhood.
1: Yeah, it, it really was. Yeah. I mean, it included all the other stuff like running around in the street with the yeah. neighborhood kids and, you know, running from backyard to back backyard and playing in the dirt and climbing trees and stuff where, like
0: that. Where in New York is that? Is that neighborhood? Is it still there?
1: It is still there. Um, It is called Ditmas Park. And over the past 10 years, it's become one of the hot neighborhoods, you know, as all the gentrified neighborhoods push people to the next place, they discover the next place that's been there all along, but that nobody was particularly interested in. Ditmas Park is south of Prospect Park, and it is known as a part of Victorian Flatbush. Um, People who are in Brooklyn are very familiar with it. And it's a tiny neighborhood. It's, it's eight square blocks um, bordered by other neighborhoods that the real estate community, of course, wants to call the same name um, that share some attributes, but not exactly. But that's where it is. South Prospect Park going towards the east as part of Flappish.
0: Yeah. Exciting. My son, who is graduating Syracuse University in a few months, um, is, is going to move to New York City. He, he did a, He has a startup. And they're launching in New York City um, and he's moving there. And so Brooklyn is where he's focused. So you and I may have to jump on a call and I'll pick your brain a little bit about. okay. well, and of course,
1: no trip to Brooklyn is complete without some advice on ethnic restaurants.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Of all variety. Yeah. So so childhood, creativity, designer thinking, where did you go from there?
1: So I had the the great opportunity of lots of art, studio art, and arts-oriented classes as a middle and high school student. And then I went on to college, and I wanted to study architecture, but I went to Brown University. There was no dedicated, specific program in architecture at that time. There is now. Um, But of course, the Rhode Island School of Design was just down the hill by about three blocks. And there was an association with the program in the city of New York, at an organization called the Institute for Architecture and Urban Studies. Very well known in its time, but it went out of business in the mid eighties, just after my year. I took my junior year away from Brown, not abroad, back home in New York. And New York was not my first choice of places to go because essentially I was going home, but I really wanted to go to this program and that's where the program was. It was an interesting way to spend an academic year in a program of only 25 students in a classroom space in an office building right on Union Square in 1984, at a time when Union Square was a very rough, kind of nasty, dirty urban park, and it had not yet had the benefit of all the urban renewal that went on in that park from that point forward.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So so back to the city, but a very different part of the city. Um, education. So um, what happened from there?
1: So at that point, I went back to Brown for my senior year, finished up, took some studio classes at RISD, and then I took a year to work out in the field. My first job was at William Rahn Associates in Boston. And then I went on to the Graduate School of Design at Harvard and got a master's of architecture. Um, at that point, I didn't really have a career mapped out beyond becoming a practicing architect. Um, and when I got my first job, I knew that the, the detailing of buildings and the preliminary things that you do as an intern level young architect did not feel like my strength. Um, you know, I was most interested in the, the bigger picture and the partie and understanding design aspirations. But when it came down to detailing A watertight building that was going to do all the things we need buildings to do, I knew that I didn't have both the patience uh, and the confidence to be the person drawing all those details uh, to get through that internship period to get on or to get back to the party and the stuff that really interested me. And so, you know, as we all know, as architects, we are so aware of whenever the economy turns. And we can all rattle off the dates of recessions Mm -hmm. that we know and and live through because we know when all of our friends and all of ourselves lost our jobs and how hard it was to get another job in 1992 and 1998 and 2001 and 2007 and et cetera, et cetera. Um, And at that time, I lost my job. I think it was 1996. In a recession, it was a mild recession, but very unexpectedly, I saw an ad in the New York Times in print sitting on the living room floor in my apartment. And I applied for a job, blind ad, as director of business development for a big corporate firm, not knowing at the time that it was with SOM, and certainly not expecting that I would be offered that job as a young architect, intern architect with minimal business experience.
0: Yeah. That's very interesting, so so you saw that ad you saw that it was for an architectural larger architectural firm, um, business development, but you didn't have any background in business or business development. did you take it because it was a job in an architecture firm? I mean what why did you even pursue it?
1: Sure, well, a lot of reasons at the time, you know because it was a recession, there were opportunities but not many of them, and I applied for a variety of things. This ad had been placed by headhunter, and as I began to develop the relationship with the headhunter, it was my first experience working with a headhunter in any kind, of any kind, in any regard. And it became clear to me that I had a real aptitude for uh, precise conversations that spoke about architecture in a meaningful way that could bridge the gap between a client's understanding and an architect's understanding. And I do believe that business development is so rooted in that space in enabling architects to speak powerfully in language that clients relate to and enabling clients to see their needs reflected in a particular architect's approach. And um, so that was one reason, but I would say also that, you know, everyone who is an architect who got through that internship period knows how difficult it is to get by on a starting architect's wages Uh, and, I was offered a salary that was literally twice what I had been earning as a designer a couple months before. And while it was a big decision, all of the factors added up in pros and cons columns and the, the underlying feeling that my particular orientation and talent was not in the detailing led me to say, okay, I'm going to take this leap knowing that I was probably not going to complete the licensing requirements and then go on that path with licensure.
0: Yeah. So you knew that when you took that job, it was sort of a decision. It was a fork in the road it said, am I going to go down the designer architect road or am I going to go down the business development administrative road? And, and so you took that specifically knowing that, right?
1: Well, I did. And I would say that I knew a lot more about the road I was turning away from than the one I was stepping foot onto. I really didn't know what it was going to mean to be the director of business development for SOM New York as a young person, never having done that job or anything like it before. And I had a number of colleagues who gave me a hand up and a number of challenges that I had to take on, um, all of which led me very specifically in this path that at the time was completely unknown but has worked out in a pretty great way. You know, unpredictable, but not unwelcome.
0: Was that decision difficult to make as somebody who just, just went through all of that education, all that expectation? This was your plan. This was, you know, your dream. You were going to become an architect. And now you have this opportunity to do something else, something inside saying, you know, this is your strength. You should go that. But you had to make a decision. Was that decision difficult?
1: Oh, yeah, it was it was a really difficult decision. You know, as I just mentioned, you know, choosing something where the path is so much less well known. Yeah. Contributes to that difficulty, but also kind of divesting psychically from the the path that you've been on from, you know, this known relationship between design and making things and not knowing what direction I was going in at the time. There, There's a lot of. Um, I'm trying really hard to avoid the word ego, but I guess there's no avoiding it. There's a lot of ego invested in choosing to be a designer and to get so far down the path to have the graduate degree in hand and then say, oh, I think I'm going to take a big left turn was a very difficult decision to make. And yet it felt like the right decision and the extra money kind of pushed it over the line. Of course, it wasn't extra money. It was just more money. Um, Yeah. Anyone making under $50,000 in the city of New York knows that you don't have any extra money, but um, yeah, it just, after a series of questions and answers, I got closer and closer to understanding that it was worth taking the leap and I took it.
0: Yeah. I asked that question because I know there are people listening right now who are at that fork, right? That they've just spent eight years or 10 years educating themselves or maybe even 20 years with a plan to become an architect and they're at that crossroad and they're like, I have this other opportunity. Something's pulling me in this direction away from my my plan, but I don't know what to do. What would you say to that person who is listening, who is at that fork and doesn't know which, which path to take?
1: Sure, well, you know, it's interesting because I, I never anticipated speaking with confidence or authority to this type of question, but as I go into my, uh, well into my sixth decade, nearing 60, um, I find I have distinct opinions on that. And I feel very confident about the answers to these questions. Careers are long and they have many chapters. And you don't always know in chapter two, what chapter 17 or 26 or 35 is going to look like. And yet there is a thread that connects all the chapters into the story. And I think it's much easier at my age to recognize that and say, well, of course, than it was at 35 or 25. Um, and that's what I'd say. I would also add that, um, the profession of architecture has changed more in the past 50 years than in the prior 500 years. And that offers lots of opportunities and it offers lots of reasons to rethink one's choices, because you can't really look at things late in your career with the consciousness that you had early in your career and know that you made the right choice or that you're making the right choice I'm kind of getting lost in what I'm saying here, but I think you know what I mean. Yeah, like
0: no, for sure. You have to
1: kind of let it unfold, and it takes you in unexpected places. And this is not unique to architecture, but it certainly is true in a profession like ours, where the the momentum of change in the past couple of generations has been pretty astounding.
0: Yeah, and it's only increasing. You said that that in the last 50, you know, it has changed more than the last 500. In the next five, it probably will change more than all of the rest, right? I mean, with technology yeah. and the rate of change and the way these industries are integrating and it's going five years from now, the profession will be different. 10 years from now, the profession will be completely different.
1: Yeah, and, and I would say to people who are listening, you know, pay attention and hold on tight because, you know, it's not stopping.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, and, and, and I agree with you in terms of um, the chapters and the seasons of your life that just because you make that decision to go down that path today doesn't mean it's the path forever. It's You just go down there, you experience that, that becomes a part of your story, becomes part of your experience. And if it's the right path, it'll continue and you'll continue down that path. If it's not the right path, there'll be other opportunities. And so follow the path that feels the right path today and move forward and continue to move forward.
1: And also allow yourself to recognize that the path might be a little different tomorrow. Because I think there's a real um, weightiness that people feel when you make a change. And there's the question of, is this the right thing to be doing? Am I taking the right path? What's going to happen? And you can't know what's going to happen. But I do think that gut instincts are important and meaningful and should be listened to, if not always heeded. And I think that, you know, to kind of take a little pivot here, I think that the importance of mentors becomes Really central to this conversation because the wisdom of people that have come before us and the richness of the experiences that they share is, uh, I mean, you can't underestimate what that is worth. And, you know, to that end, three years ago, I founded a mentoring seminar series with two colleagues. Uh, In particular, our efforts are focused on women entering the profession for a variety of reasons that I would imagine you've spoken about with others in the podcast before. Um, But what we ask our mentors to do is to just provide the example and to share the broadest spectrum of examples with our uh, mentee and young woman architect population so that everybody can see something that reflects her own interests, that resonates with her. And we welcome men to join us too. So, you know, with her and him, um, because we want people to know that one person's choice is not the barometer for whether or not yours is correct and um i forget where we started this question and where it should go now (laughs) yeah but
0: yeah well i you uh, know every time you and i talk we do this because we're both passionate about, about what we're talking about i don't think it's rambling i think it's very it's it's i think i think it is you know i asked that question about how difficult that decision was was to make um and i wanted to make sure that those listening had the benefit of understanding your thoughts on that, which is why I took us there. But but let's get back to your story. You So you're in SOM, you're working in the business development um, of SOM New York. where did you go from there? How long were you there? What did you do there? Sure. And how did, you, how did, it, how did so- the
1: story You know, task one was figuring out how to do that job, and I have to give a shout out to someone who probably is not going to be listening, a woman named Jessica Godek, who was a rep for one of the big furniture companies. And I went to my first uh, public event, which was held at the Plaza Hotel at eight o'clock in the morning. And I was walking to the hotel and as I was walking up 58th street, a taxi drove by and splashed me with dirty water. And I walked into the lobby at the plaza, somewhat discombobulated and going to the ballroom where the event was taking place. And Jessica, who I did not know, came up to me and she said, you look like you don't know anybody here. My name's Jessica. And she sort of welcomed me in and made my entire career possible from that point forward, because I was a little bit like freaked out and soaking wet and She just kind of eased all that tension. And I think that um, to the extent that those of us well into our careers can do that for younger people, it is so profound and it is so easy for us to do. Um, So, yes, again, I've lost track of where we started. Does,
0: does, Does Jessica know that about you?
1: Well, she does. Um, I spoke with her maybe 15, 20 years after the fact. I saw her for a few years pretty yeah. consistently, but I reached out to her to help another younger colleague who was looking for a new job in contract furnishings. And she was really happy to hear from me and helped out my colleague. And you know, every now and then I touch base with her. So she did at that time know, but I don't know that it's something yeah. she thinks about as much as I do.
0: Yeah, That I yeah. would doubt. Yeah, it's just, it's just yeah. interesting how, how someone in your life in your path that we're talking about. Um can and someone incidental
1: who, yeah. you know, just crosses your path one day completely yep. unexpectedly. Yeah, a profound way. And
0: it's it's I love that. And you know, because it's it is all about your story. It's all about your path that you've that you're on. Right. And that all these decisions we're making and and the people we meet along the way affect who we are. And 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 looking back, I, you know, I'm similar to you in terms of where I am in my career, looking back and connecting those dots and seeing how all of those things, all those pieces come together and all those dots are connected and all those, 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 those decisions to move forward in one way rather than another way. bring yeah, you to where you should be.
1: I would say to people, you know, be on the lookout for the Jessica Godex in your life because you pass them all the time, every day. And when we get further into the the story of my development project, you know, there's a part of that story that is very similar in terms of a chance meeting as well. It led me to where I am today. Anyway, to get back to your question about SOM, I spent two and a half years at SOM. Um, It became very obvious that someone who was in the position directly above me was not making a lot of room for me to advance in my position. And while I had a title that was the sort of ultimate title as director of business development, I didn't really have the full responsibility that would allow me to grow further into the job. Well, I had the responsibility to a point, but they, they just weren't allowing me to grow into the job at the rate I would have liked, which is not to say that it was a mistake. SOM is a fantastic place to work as a young architect. You have such an opportunity to gather experience from Many, many people at the top of their game and a broad variety of experience, and I indeed benefited from that tremendously. Coincident with that, it was the year 2000. And at that time, the advances from the internet and from telecommunications technology were starting to really have an impact on architecture and on the business world in general, and I was getting a little restless. And at the time, my brother, who is a telecommunications engineer, had engineered a product that he wanted to bring to the market, and he asked me if I would help him. I want to backtrack for a moment. While I was at SOM, I uh, I initiated a project pursuit that, you know, very unexpectedly, again, crossed paths with someone who is in a position to share some information and to give me a hand in making a connection on something of benefit and of interest to SOM that touched off the pursuit of a project for uh, Hearn Hall at John Jay College in New York City, part of the city university system. And it took a very, very long time for that project to run through the stages to be awarded, but I started it. And I have a colleague who played a similar role for his firm, which is a fire protection engineering firm. And both of us left our positions before it all concluded and looked back happily to see that our teams won that project, which had in time turned into an $800 million opportunity for the firms doing that job um, that that hit right after the slowdown of September 11th. So we we started the fire that became a raging conflagration as they'd say in a Bugs Bunny cartoon um, (laughs) that carried those firms through for a couple of years. Anyway, fast forward to um, my brother, David, asking if I would join him to take his engineering product to the market. I was a little restless. It was time to go. I said, yes. We spent a couple of years together in a startup, you know, really the two of us with the third engineer, Benjamin Puckett, who was located in Orange County, California. I was in my apartment at the kitchen table. My brother was in his house in Dayton, Ohio, and we were... Shaking the trees and visiting people in all sorts of locations around the country, trying to get this product to market that would enable the end user, customer end user, to get broadband technology at their site, whether it was their office or their home. In 2000, we forget how difficult that was. The yeah, problem was not
0: for broadband. the
1: last mile. And the solution that allowed the signal to be transferred from the central office at the phone company to the customer was bridging that gap known as the last mile. And my brother had engineered this solution. The difficulty was that we had a patent process that we had to go through, and we did not have a ton of money to just pull the trigger on applying for all of those patents. I would say to my brother, hey, I'm a smart person. I can finesse a lot of things, but a graduate degree in engineering ain't one of them. So get busy. And at at the end of the story, we we had some wonderful milestones. We were able to pitch to the chief information officer at General Motors. But at the end of the day, we were not able to complete what we started uh, in dramatic fashion because we needed the patents. We couldn't pitch the project or the product to the appropriate people who would understand the innovation without the patent protection. And on September 11th, we intersected with history um, in that our second lead engineer, Benjamin in Orange County, who had come out of the NSA and the Defense Department was sucked right back into it. And we were not able to complete our patent work for the disclosure because he had more important things that he had to do. And we were out of business. Yeah. Um, I then went back to working in architecture in-house as a business development professional briefly. And then very soon thereafter in 2003, my phone started ringing with people asking if I would come work with them in consulting and sort of ironically and poetically and wonderfully, the first person who called was my very good friend, Mike Resnick, the fire protection engineer who was at that point on his second go around starting an office for a competing firm to the fire protection engineering firm he was with when together we were pursuing John Jay College Hearn Hall at his prior firm and at SOM. (laughs) So there you go. There's the origin story. It's rambling. Um, But from 2003 forward, I have been a consultant to many, many architects, probably somewhere between 150 and 200 different firms over nearly 20 years, with short stints in in in-house jobs after prolonged recessions. Um, Because while people always need this kind of support after recessions, many firms are not in a position to pay for it. And that's when I've had to sort of fill the gap and work in-house for a little while and then have always gone back to consulting.
0: Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our sponsors for their support of this episode this episode is brought to you by bqe the makers of bqe core systems and standard operating procedures you already know that that's how to build a profitable business and find the freedom you want you need systems and procedures but you struggle with choosing which systems you need most and how to implement those systems quickly so you can get back to doing what you love most the Designing Your Business Masterclass series was created by acclaimed architect and business consultant, Douglas Teeger, to help fellow architects and engineers run their firms more profitably while maintaining a healthy work-life balance. Douglas grew from a solo practitioner to become managing partner of his 30-plus person firm and then later sold his firm so he can do what he does today, helping architects be more successful at Teeger Consulting. On the third Wednesday of every month, Douglas dives deep into an essential topic that will strengthen the profitability of your firm and make it sustainable for growth in the years to come. Register now for the next Designing Your Business Masterclass with Douglas Teeger at bqe.com masterclass and start implementing powerful systems for the profitability you need and the freedom you want. Every live masterclass session includes AIA Continuing Education Credit, and when you visit bqe.com masterclass, you'll have access to the full library of past sessions on demand. The Designing Your Business Masterclass is free, and it's brought to you by our friends at BQE, the makers of BQE Core, the software that makes it easy to manage your projects and people for maximum productivity and ultimate profitability. Register now for the Designing Your Business Masterclass at bqe.com masterclass. That's bqe.com slash masterclass. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. There's a lot to love about being an entrepreneur architect, right? But trying to figure out our financials on our own is not one of those things. Luckily, we have FreshBooks, the all-in-one accounting solution that's built for business owners like us. FreshBooks takes all the not-so-fun parts of running a business, from building and tracking invoices managing online payments to organizing expenses and automates them with features like the digital bills and receipt scanner, saving you up to 11 hours a week in the process. It's also super easy to get up and running and the award-winning FreshBooks support team, they are always available to answer any questions along the way. Compare that to some of the other financial management tools out there. Try FreshBooks for free for 30 days, no credit card required. Go to freshbooks.com/architect to get started today. That's freshbooks.com/architect. So what will you do with 11 more hours each week? This episode is brought to you by arcat.com. We all have that one story, that one project that had such a unique situation that it required a solution that you had rarely considered before. We share these stories in private professional circles with our friends and our colleagues, but there has never been a collection of these stories of conflict and triumph all in one place until now. Detailed is a podcast series that features architects, engineers, builders, and manufacturers who share their insights and expertise as they highlight some of the most complex, interesting, and oddball building conditions that they have ever encountered and the ingenuity it took to solve them. Join host Sharice Lakeside, a.k.a. CSI Kraken, a senior specifications writer at RDH Building Science, as she uncovers lessons learned to help you navigate similar challenges that may arise in your next project. Detailed, an original podcast by ArtCat. Listen and subscribe right now at artcat.com slash podcast. That's RCAT.com slash podcast. A-R-C-A-T dot com slash podcast. Detailed. Every building has a story. Please visit our sponsors today and thank them. Thank them for supporting you, the entree Architect community. And now you're developing. So. I am. How, how did you? that happened? Because I'm listening to your story from the beginning to where you are today, consulting, helping firms build better businesses. How did this whole development thing happen?
1: Sure. So, you know, it's funny, like connecting the dots is a much different exercise when you're looking backwards than when you're looking forwards. Yes. And I can tell you some important moments. Um, but as we were talking before we got started with recording, there was a moment of epiphany I had a couple of months ago where suddenly all of these pieces that seemed like they might not have been distinctly related, kind of snapped into focus and all of the different pieces of my long career suddenly revealed themselves to be connected like that thread through the different chapters. Um, it was probably 2017 or maybe 16 where I was involved with the Brown Real Estate Group that had a, a variety of different professionals all involved in real estate development, finance, design, uh, urban planning, etc., And I was attending Brown Real Estate Group events over a period of time, primarily to find opportunities for my clients. Uh, because part of the work I did was advising as to how to do business development. And part of it in the past, at least, was assisting firms in making those connections directly. And there were a number of people in the group that would have been great connections for many of my clients at the time, like Brennan Gilbane of Gilbane Construction and others whose names escape me at the moment. And I was at an event in Jersey City when the leader of the group, Kwame Campbell, head of the Brown Club in New York, took me by the wrist to meet a colleague, David Fox, uh, who I didn't really know why he was introducing me to him. And David Fox is now my partner in Live, Give, Play. Uh, and we are about to go into construction in our first development project with the second one uh, following quickly on the heels. So, you know, to go back to the, the short answer to your original question, it was very inadvertent. I did not intend to go into development, but I met someone who wanted to develop something and over a prolonged period of time, we found ourselves in this position, and we pursued it.
0: So, so what is it? Give us sort of, sort of a background on what the, the project is.
1: Sure. So it's a, a longish story. Um, David Fox was not initially a developer. He had a media business. And he and I are Brown alumni separated by 15 years in time. He noticed after the recession uh, that his colleagues from his prior industry, he was in the media business. He had a company that produced and distributed television programs and films, and he noticed he loves to tell people, well, I realized when I wasn't uh, transferring successfully to digital and my biggest client was Blockbuster, that it was time to sell my business and do something else, which he did. And at that point, he became interested in real estate and real estate development. And he told me that after the recession, he noticed that a number of his friends and colleagues from media and entertainment, a big number of them had lost really high paying jobs, which is not surprising. The the recession was very dislocating for people in a lot of industries. But what he didn't expect was that many of his friends and colleagues in the baby boom generation, for a variety of reasons, had not saved enough money for retirement which was creeping up on them very, very quickly. David is now 72 or 73. Um, Most of his colleagues are retired. And many of them were in that position in 2008, nine, where they realized they didn't have the resources to maintain their lifestyle without a full-time job. And they also realized when losing their high-paid jobs, they weren't very likely to get jobs of comparable income and stature, when the recession was over. Um, And so it started a process where he came to understand um, that they needed to downsize and they needed to move. And coincident with that understanding, he developed an interest in new urbanism and the ongoing and advancing discussion about walkable living situations. And from that, Live Give Play, our development entity was launched and our objective is to build apartment rental apartment housing for people over the age of 55 in walkable downtown college communities. Why college communities? Yeah, why college? Well, for a lot of reasons. First of all, college communities are very likely to be walkable and they tend to have distinct downtowns. But of similar importance, one of the unifying cultural factors in the baby boom generation is that it was the first generation in the history of the United States and maybe the world where many, many, many people went to college. It was sort of the great equalizer, the experience that everybody shared. And many of them had very fond associations with that time in life and friendships that they made that became lifelong friendships that they connect to when they were in college. And it also offered an opportunity for lifelong learning and for what we like to describe as participatory philanthropy, which is that someone might not be in a position to write a big check to the cause of their choice, but they are in a position to contribute their time. And college communities are in many ways unique in the presence of young people with startups, uh, members of the community who might need a little support and business advice, and bring to those communities a concentration of recently retired seniors with a long career and a lot of intellectual firepower. And you have an opportunity to spread the love and share that information and provide the support to the next generation. And so this is our strategy to build rental housing in walkable downtowns, in college communities that allow people who went to college or even didn't to live in these places where there are so many cultural opportunities And yet also, uh, they might have a less expensive cost of living than in the adjacent, though much more expensive, larger communities they're moving from. So that's what we're doing.
0: I see another crossroad for you.
1: (laughs) Tell me. (laughs) You're doing
0: all of this. Well, not going forward, but but in order to do this development, you had to make a decision because you're working as a consultant, doing the things that you do um you're introduced to Mr. Fox and and uh, i mean were you interested in doing development was this something that you were looking to pursue or did this was this part of your path that you didn't expect
1: definitely part of the path that i didn't expect however once you start a conversation like that the path starts to change really rapidly and i would say that while i didn't realize it at the time i started playing a long game with David Fox, uh, very quickly a guy named Patrick McDara joined us and he was one of David's colleagues and employees in his media business. Patrick went to Wesleyan University in Middletown, Connecticut and at the time we were targeting Middletown as the location for our first project. David and his wife surveyed 29 different college communities up and down the East Coast. We wanted to concentrate in an area that was familiar. We thought, you know, there's a lot to be mastered here. Let's start with at least a few things that we know. Um, And Patrick, since he had gone to Wesleyan in Middletown, was a real asset to our team in cultivating relationships within the community. But over time, he revealed to be an asset in many, many, many more ways than that. And we are a very tight team. Live, give, play is the three of us for the most part. We then joined forces with someone named Jeff Spiritos, who is a seasoned developer who came out of Gerald Hines and started his own development entity, I think, in 2004. So he's almost at it 20 years. Um, And our first project, which is not in Middletown, but rather is in Northampton, Massachusetts, Uh, is a joint venture with Spiritos Properties. Um, We're just putting our first quals package together for, well, first quals package. We're putting our second quals package together for our second project, which now is focusing back on the original site in Middletown. And that's literally being completed tomorrow. Wow, exciting. Um, Yeah, so I didn't intend to be a developer, but once David and I had started out on that path together, joined by Patrick and pretty soon thereafter joined by Jeff, We decided, we we had a little misfire in Middletown because we were pursuing a site that was publicly held, and the municipal authorities uh, were not really in a position to bring that process to conclusion, and it all went on hold. We decided we didn't want to be encumbered by a municipal process, so we started to look for land in private hands in a different market in Northampton, uh, which had a number of additional advantages, um, slightly more vibrant Uh, downtown community. And Northampton is part of what's known as the five college uh, consortium. Maybe I'm not sure exactly what they call it, but there are five colleges all within a 10 mile radius of each other, which means there are a lot of alumni who might want to live there in Northampton. And we were able to secure a really excellent prime development site my partners like to say, you know, almost downtown. I laugh every time they say it because we're literally a block and a half from Main Street. And in my <laughs> mind, how is that not downtown? We're just
0: expanding downtown.
1: I, we are expanding downtown. So we, we were able to secure an acre of land across from the Hotel Northampton, a block and a half from Main Street, and everything followed from there. What I did not foresee at the beginning was how quickly we would pivot, uh, inspired by Jeff Spiritos and his influence to embrace both mass timber as our structural system and passive house standards for the project. And it has been really fascinating as a trained architect to understand the interdependence of every single decision in realizing a mass timber passive house apartment building at this moment in time. And that's where we start to see the thread connecting everything from start to finish.
0: Yeah, let's. Uh, why mass timber and why passive house? Why, why, why do that?
1: You know, that's that's a tough question. And It's not easy to answer that directly in a short response. It's no secret that uh, climate change yep. is the big issue we will all confront in the next. I don't know. Insert number of years of your choice: five years, ten years, fifty years it's unavoidable. It is urgent. It's also no secret that the baby boom generation is uniquely positioned to move the needle on a lot yeah. of things. And they're at a moment in their lives where a lot of them are going to need to change their living situation. So why not marry those two things and create an opportunity for that generation to live in buildings that help to move the needle in how we build buildings for the future going forward. That's a partial answer. You yeah. could take the answer in a lot of other directions. But um, it, at this moment in time, it just makes sense to embrace timber as a material for the pr- primary structural system because concrete util- utilizes so much more fossil fuel, because steel utilizes so much more fossil fuel, because timber is a renewable resource, because it's regionally accessible, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there are people who could talk about these things way more thoroughly and way more eloquently than I can. But you didn't have to put too many of those terms in front of us for us to realize how important it was to embrace some of these changes that we're starting to see with increasing momentum all around us in the design community. And to that end, about um six weeks ago, we submitted a very detailed entry to the Softwood Lumber Board to a competition for a half a million dollars of award funding for mass timber projects approaching net zero energy use. Um, Our fingers are crossed. We'll be finding out on June 17th whether or not we've made the grade. But they are trying to influence the adoption of more and more people using mass timber and timber products in general as a primary building material um which we are very much on board in doing
0: yeah yeah it, i mean it is the responsible thing to do to do mass timber and passive house it sounds like there's a market for it right the market that you are pursuing the baby boomers are looking for to be more responsible to be more energy efficient in the things they're doing and like you said they become advocates for that they're living in it they can tell their friends they can it be be you know advocate that others should do the same
1: well yes and you know if you look around if you're involved in this to any degree ordinances and regulations are appearing in new york city local law 97 was just about to go into effect at the onset of the pandemic and while it's been delayed slightly it's it's still happening and that's going to require all buildings in the entire city of New York to embrace a higher degree of energy efficiency than anybody has heretofore foreseen and that is new buildings as well as existing buildings and so you know it it is naive at this point to not take these things quite seriously because it's going to be obligatory soon so why not get out ahead of it
0: yeah you know, you have such an interesting story to go all the way back to where you started with, with the Victorian and the, the, the childhood that you had and, and work your way through your college experience and then business development at SOM, all of your consulting work, ultimately uh, now in in development. Um, if you When you look at your life today and your career today, are you surprised at where you are today? Because I'm sure this is, was not the plan when you started right. With in Brown.
1: Well, you know, to, in some ways, I am surprised. In some ways, I find myself finally saying, oh, of course. Um, but of course, there have also been many, many moments of sitting in uncertainty and thinking, how did I get here? And where am I? And why am I here? And what do I do? Um, and I think that if you can, in those moments, just keep the faith you figure it out. My primary role in Live, Give, Play is that I am the design interface. I am the person that brought our architect to the table. They were a firm that I had worked with as a client, a firm I have enormous respect for BKSK Architects, primarily New York based, but they've done a few projects outside of the city of New York. And their work, if it can be characterized, In any one word, I would consider that word excellence. Their work is so excellent in all regards. Um, But in any case, we're working with BKSK. I brought them to the table. I had this wonderful opportunity literally yesterday to exercise my design muscles in working with BKSK to shape our quals package for our second project. Uh, We were speaking with them about what we were going to present in our qualifications and there is some design being included in that package. And they had prepared a pretty lengthy package of drawings with maybe 14 to 16 images and some really nice hand-done renderings with a lot of detail and it was overwhelming. And our marching orders to them after our last meeting about 10 days ago was, hey, this is way too much information. The wrong things are emphasized in the detailing. We wanna keep focus on our primary objective which is the residential portion the town had requested uh, that the developer consider being a developer for hire for a library adjacent on the site. And BKSK was really excited about the library. Of course, they're excited about the library. What architect with an opportunity to design a community library isn't thrilled with that prospect? We asked them to make a few changes to punch up the details on the residential portion, tone down the details on the library. And the site has a number of green spaces within it They had shown a stair climbing up on the outside of the library to a higher elevation to the third floor where there would be a sort of outdoor cafe and a roof terrace. I suggested to them that it would be equally great to have the stair come down alongside the library into the garden so that you have a a footbridge leading to the library that leads you quickly to a stair that goes up alongside the library and down alongside the library to the entrance and through the garden out across the site to the adjacent street and to the river nearby. And it was exciting to me to be able to say, hey, let's bring that staircase down through that garden too. Yeah. And then to see it appear in the drawings, even better, I didn't have to draw it myself. <laughs> and then to Somebody see else the going to section,
0: detail the stair.
1: Somebody else could do that. <laughs> then I could see the site section going through the site from top to bottom and then request, hey, can we see a quick SketchUp perspective, looking from the footbridge alongside the library through the garden out to the street and over to the river. And, um, you know, therein is sort of the thread that connects my designer past in the late 1980s to my developer present in the early 2020s with all the steps in between, because it encompasses one of my consulting clients and many of the steps along the way, um, in a really satisfying, tangible project that we are hoping will be a building that people will live in.
0: Yeah, you are where you are meant to be.
1: At the moment, I am. Yeah. Despite the fact that, you know, as recently as the day before yesterday, I had my head in my hands and was bemoaning the chaos of the current (laughs) moment thinking, well, how did I get here and what am I going to do? Yeah. But yeah, all you take is uh, one more conversation that twists your perspective on it a little bit and you realize, oh yeah, everything's fine. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I experience that almost every day.
1: It's like, yep. oh, How did
0: I get here? Why am I here? Should have taken a different path. And then the, something happens. It's yep. like, oh, yes, that's why we're here. That's I that's think it is called
1: we're... the human condition.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's exciting to hear your story because because you can connect all those dots and say you are right where you belong at this moment. Right. You're doing exactly what you should be doing. And all those steps along the way, we're preparing you for this moment. Right. And well, that's thing- right.
1: That's right. And if I could throw in one more sort of poetic and and very personally satisfying uh, detail, last year during the pandemic, I was contacted by a young woman who had recently graduated from Brown, who was looking for a job, which was a hard thing to do during the pandemic. And she uh, was interested in architecture, but did not have a professional degree and was somewhat stuck because she couldn't yet get into school and she couldn't yet get a job and didn't know the right direction. And through a series of steps, I helped her apply for a couple of things. And she ended up working in the marketing department at BKSK, um, which I was very happy to see. And it makes me feel good every time I think about it. And there's more to the story there. But in any case, we are now working on this quals package that we're literally completing tomorrow. Uh, And she's the one who's going to carry it over the finish line for us at BKS. So I love the thought of a client that I worked with as a consultant, taking in a student that I worked with as a mentor, working on a project that is my project in the ownership group as the developer. And all of us are working together in ways that we will all see mutual benefits. If we win the grant from the Softwood Lumber Board, it is a feather in the cap to BKSK, it is a tremendous milestone for our development team. And personally, I would consider it to be, if I do nothing else in my life, then build that one building in Northampton, it will have been an incredibly satisfying result to see all those things pulled together.
0: Yeah, very exciting, very inspirational, and I'm sure it is only this stop on your path, right? There's so many more things that you will do in the future. And this will be part of that story as well. It's, it's, uh, it's very inspiring. Uh, and, and I'm, and I would, I would guess that other designers who are listening, who are in, in our generation, um, are, are feeling similar things, right? That, well, yeah. Was-
1: and, you know, mindful that time is running out and mindful at what time it is now. I have a couple of thoughts that, for my own thinking or conclusion kind of thoughts, but please don't take that as your own boundary. Um, I would say David Fox, my partner, aspires to build a hundred projects. I giggle every time I think about that, a hundred projects, because remember, he's 15 years older than I am. So he would probably be hundred years old when we you know, cut the ribbon on that hundredth project. Um, and that would be wonderful if we get to the point where that happens. Uh, If we build a few, that will be tremendously satisfying and an enormous success. And I would say to people listening, think about, you know, where you sit in your own body of work in relation to that, you know, what you complete and what you aspire to and where you are in the chain. But the thing that is truly the most important thing to all of it, start to finish, is the people. You know, like think very carefully about the people that you embrace and surround yourself with in your career, which is not to say be too exclusive, but rather to say be open to everyone who crosses your path and be really, really alert to who's sitting in front of you and what you're talking about, because you never know who it's going to be that is going to be of great, great consequence to your life and your career. Um, and who's just going to make a giggle every time you think about them saying, we're going to do 100 projects, <laughs> um, even when you haven't yet finished the one. Yeah. So maybe that's, a good, uh, maybe that's a good place to yeah. turn it back it's, to you.
0: It's perfect. And, and I usually ask that final question, but that is the answer to that final question. What is one thing a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? Would you want to expand on that question or is that the answer? M- pay attention to the people around you.
1: Well, you know, I'll expand on it a little bit. So as I, you know, remind myself how funny it is that I'm going to do a hundred buildings and maybe I am, and wouldn't that be awesome? Um, But yeah, pay, pay attention to the people around you up and down the chain, whether it is the student who is reaching out for a hand up, help them. By all means, help them. It feels good. The things you can do for someone young who's reaching out for some support, it takes very little effort to help them get so far. Looking in the middle, pay attention to what your colleagues and peers are doing. It's exciting to see their own take on the same moment that you're living through and talk about it with them because that will inevitably allow your own thinking about a variety of things to evolve. Uh, the mentoring seminar series I produce with my colleagues Anique Pearson and Angelique Pierre, both of whom I think are known to you. I'm not certain about that, but Perhaps.
0: I don't recognize their names, but maybe in my. We'll be introducing them soon. Yes.
1: Um, You know, their take on what resonates in the mentoring that we do and what is so important about supporting young women as they grow into accomplished architects. That's sort of the peer portion. And it leads me in directions, again, that are tremendously valuable, that are completely unpredictable, and that if I wasn't really paying attention, I would totally miss the point on those things. And then looking further out to the the people that are at the top of the food chain, the ones who are really further along than I am, and what I can learn and benefit from their expertise, like Jeff Spiritos, my partner in development, who is... Maybe 15, 16 years older than me, but has 35 years of experience as a developer at all levels and three generations behind him in a family construction business. You know, understanding in a very granular way how a decision about a reveal on a window molding is going to ripple through a project cost wise, or understanding how one tiny thing will manifest in our ability to keep the building envelope tight enough to achieve Passive House certification. You know, in and of itself, it's not rocket science, but when you start to see the whole picture and all of the pieces come into focus and how interdependent they are, in some cases in ways you never could have predicted, uh, it, it is very telling and it, it is true with the people you will encounter along the way as much as anything else. Yeah. So, you know, welcome it all in. Figure it out later.
0: Nancy Klappel is her name. Nancy Klappel Consulting <laughs> is the company. You can go check her out at clappelconsulting.com. Uh, if you want to learn more about the development that Nancy's working on, Live Give Play, livegiveplay.com is the website. Um, go there, check it out and see what they're doing. And you'll be the one that says, Oh, I remember when they started that company when they're building their 900 you know 99th building
1: our 99th project yep. yeah I, A couple of things to add uh, we hope about 2 years from now we will be moving people in so if you are over the age of 55 in 2024 and have a burning desire to live in northampton massachusetts there will be some beautiful apartments waiting for you um, i am shifting my weight out of consulting and into development over the, the next couple of years. I'm still doing consulting for a while, but I'm also shifting my focus in consulting, working with my colleague, Ali Tepper, who is an architect with a deep knowledge of financial analysis, who advises firms on partnership and ownership transitions. And so again, it's part of this big continuum. Every couple of years, something new pops up on the horizon as worthy of attention and all of the past supports how you talk about it and assist people in taking it on going forward into the future.
0: Exciting, very exciting. And we'll have you back for, I I wanna have you back for many, many different topics. So (laughs) we'll definitely have you back. Um, With Allie. Yes, we'll come, definitely we'll do Allie. Livegiveplay.com uh is the website for the for the development. Uh, go check it out. Nancy, thank you for all you've done in this profession, the impact that you've had on our profession as a consultant, um, the, the sharing. You're very sharing, very open every time that I talk to you, you inspire me. Uh, thank you for sharing your knowledge here today at Ontree Architect Podcast.
1: Oh, thanks, Mark, and and back at you. Thanks for all the good work that you do, which is, you know spreading out far and wide, and I feel the same way. Thank you so much.
0: If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, go write a review. I would love to know what you think of this podcast, and it helps other architects find us. So go do five-star rating if you like it, share, write a review, I'd love it, and share a link to this episode, with a friend because that's how we've grown. That's how Entrez Architect has grown to serve thousands of architects throughout the world, just like you. Thank you to our sponsors, RCAT, FreshBooks, and BQE for their support of this episode. I ask you to support them because they support us. And if they're supporting us, they're supporting you. So go support them. Got it? Go support our sponsors. Links to our sponsors so you can click on those links and go right to them. Links to our sponsors and all the resources we shared today are available at the show notes for this episode at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. All the shows are there, entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entre Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows. I think there are 11 of them there now. Go there, gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And I hope you're going to join us in Austin, November 1st through November 3rd, 2022. Those are the dates for the Entree Architect Community Annual Meeting, our first ever live and in-person conference for you, the small firm architect community. Visit entrearchitect.com slash annual meeting right now to learn more. That's entreearchitect.com slash annual meeting. And I will see you in Austin in November. Don't miss this. This is going to be great entrearchitect.com slash annual meeting it's a conference for you small firm architects thank you for listening today to this episode of entre architect podcast love learn and share what you know